0: Dear Sloggy Kids, it is Saturday morning, November 18th, and I'm going to record this before I go to bed because I'm still awake and I might not wake up till late and not have time to do one for you this evening. And I missed yesterday and I want to keep on with our book. So let's keep going with our Chuck Black. Book 5 of the Kingdom series, we are on chapter 13. Chapter 13 is titled, The Isles of Malone. The canal narrowed even further, the deeper they progressed, and the cliffs of the two shores beside them rose high above. The islands were dense with trees and vegetation. The men occasionally heard the sound of an animal that was unknown to them, and it brought chills. Fortunately, Dante was correct, and the canal was deep enough for the raven to continue onward. Halfway through the canal, the cliffs dropped quickly to meet a grassy shoreline. The canal widened for a short distance and formed an alcove. The captain ordered the crew to set anchor. The serene landscape engulfed the ship in wild beauty they did not know how long the tempest would wait for them, but Dante reckoned that they would exhaust their food and water long before the tempest gave up. He formed a landing party of fifteen men to see what, what to see what was available on the island. but those he selected were not pleased. Huntley remained on the raven while gavinon captain Dante went with the men to shore. As the crew pulled their boat ashore, they determined a direction to begin their search and proceeded inland a fair distance before stopping to rest. They found a clearing and set up a base camp to facilitate further searches into the island. After a short time, one of the main men came running to the captain. Captain, look! <clears throat> The man pointed into the trees beyond the clearing, and Gavanaugh saw what was causing his concern. Amid the trees, thirty to forty figures stood with spears in their hands. Gavanaugh wondered if this was perhaps the source of the legends of the ghosts on the islands. The men all rose and drew their swords, but the shadowy figures remained still. Eventually, Dante and Gavanaugh sheathed their swords and slowly approached the native islanders with open arms. Dante and Gavanaugh stopped midway, and one of them walked toward Dante. His hair was long and tied back at his neck. His skin was slightly darker than theirs, but there was little difference in the features of his face. He wore crude clothing made of leather. The man came within two steps of Dante and Gavanaugh and stopped. He stared intently as if he had never seen the likes of such men before. We are in search of food and water. Can you help us? Dante asked. Gavanaugh wondered if the man could even understand them. Then the man spoke. Yes, we can help you. Where are you from? The man's accent was strange, but he spoke with a clarity that surprised both of them. I am Dante. I come from the Moor. This is Gavinagh. He comes from Chessington. The man thought for a moment. I have heard of such places. My name is Pleoebus, chief of the Melitans. These are my people, he said, motioning toward the trees. Those with him came out of the trees and stood in the open. You are fleeing the tempests," the chief said. Yes, how did you know? Dante asked. We are always aware of the tempests when they are near. They will not attack you on the island, he said. "'Pliobus and his people went to the camp with the men. "'As they entered, the chief became concerned and lifted his spear. "'His men did the same, and Dante's men drew their swords. "'You should not be here!' "'Pliobus said sternly. "'He did not appear concerned with Dante's men, "'but instead looked to the trees. "'Captain Dante tried to calm the situation.' What is wrong, Pleiabas? Pleiabas and his men began to step back to where they had come from. It is the strangler vine. You must leave. Suddenly, the man next to Gavanos screamed and fell to the ground. He clawed at the dirt, but something unseen was dragging him toward a large tree at the edge of their camp. "'It is too late!' screamed Pleibus. His men shouted in fear and backed further away, searching the ground as they went. The seaman continued to scream, and Gavanagh dove for him. He locked hands, but whatever was pulling the man was overpowering both of them. "'My leg! My leg!' the man screamed, and Gavanagh could see that a vine as thick as a man's thumb had wrapped completely around his lower leg. Gavanagh stood, drew his sword, and ran ahead of the man. The vine was buried in the vegetation of the forest floor, but he could see its movement beneath the leaves. He made a quick slice and severed the vine. Then he helped the man to his feet, and they ran away from the large tree. Three paces later, Gavanagh felt a pull at his own leg and before he could react, he was prone on the ground and being yanked back toward the tree. A vine had wrapped around his leg, and another was encircling his waist. Its squeeze was powerful. Dante drew his sword and began to run toward Gavanagh, but the chief stopped him. It's too late! You cannot stop it! he exclaimed. You will die too! As the chief spoke the words, the entire ground, for twenty paces around the tree, came to life, as dozens of vines surfaced from beneath the overlying leaves and grass. The trunk of the huge tree also seemed to move, as vertical strips of thick bark separated from the base of the tree, but remained connected farther up the trunk. Each moving piece served as an arm with bone-like spikes that swung outward to strike the flesh of any prey captured by the vines. Little did Gavinon know that the poisoned spikes on the limbs paralyzed their prey until the juices of the vine could digest it. Like some enormous woody octopus, the tree was a frightening oracle of horror. Galvanov felt the grip of the vine tightening about his leg and waist, and the air being forced from his lungs. He saw dozens of vines surface around him and knew that he only had a moment to react. Thankfully, his left arm was still free. The vines had dragged him about six paces from the tree "'nearly within the reach of the spiked arms from the trunk "'that were flailing through the air around its base. "'Gavanaugh made a quick slice across the vine that encircled his waist "'and then another across the vine about his leg. "'He tried to stand, but another wrapped around his right arm "'and pulled him to the ground. "'He cut it quickly and stood up. "'He knew it was paramount that his sword arm remained free.' Everywhere he looked, vines were whipping about him and closing in. Whoosh! One of the trunk arms flew past his chest, just missing its mark. Knowing there was no escape, Gavanaugh did not run. He focused his mind as though he were facing the blades of a dozen shadow warriors and began to cut and slice each vine "'that came within reach of his sword. "'With the training of the prince, "'he could almost see the vines behind him "'as they prepared to strike. "'One vine reached from below and grabbed his leg. "'He bent slightly to sever it "'and felt a strong, painful blow "'from one of the trunk arms. "'In his fight with the vines, "'he had stepped too close to the tree, "'and the spikes from one of the arms "'had pierced his back.' Gavanaugh tried to ignore the pain and swung powerfully at the arm as it poised for another strike. His sword cut clean through the arm and left a weaponless limb flailing in the air. Then, Gavanaugh methodically worked his way about the tree, severing each limb and vine that appeared until all about him was still. Gavanaugh backed away from the tree until he was at a safe distance. Only then did he allow himself to relax. The pain in his back had returned, but it wasn't as severe as when he was first struck. Dante, Pleiobos, and all the other men ran to him and looked at him in awe. Pleibus examined the wound on his back and noticed that it was already beginning to heal. He knelt before Gavanagh. "'No man has ever survived the grip of the strangler vine. "'You are a supreme knight,' he said, kneeling and bowing his head. "'All of his men did the same.' "'Gavanagh reached for the man's shoulder. "'No, Pleiabas, I am not a supreme knight.' but I will tell you of one who is. It is his sword, his training, and his power that have allowed me to survive. Rise up! Pleobus took Gavanagh, Dante, and his men into, the vil- into their village that day and gave them shelter and food. The group stayed for three days, gathering food and water for their ship. Pleiobas and his people showed great kindness to the men and taught them how to identify the trees infected with the strangler vines. During this time, Pleiobas and his people listened earnestly as Gavinot told them about the prince. During an afternoon meal, one of the villagers urgently approached Pleiobas. "'Chief Pleobus, your father has been taken!' Pleibus rose up from the table. What? Your father and three others have been taken by Lord Malthos. A terrible fate has fallen upon our village, he declared. Pleiabas sank to his seat in a daze and did not rush out at the news, as Gavinaw expected. Pleiabas, there are many of us. We will help you recover your father— "'From whoever has taken him,' Gavanagh said as he rose from the table. Plebus looked blankly at Gavanagh. "'There is no hope. "'The one who has taken him is much too powerful.' "'He put his head in his hands. "'Who is this man, and where is he?' Dante asked.' Plebus looked up and seemed hesitant to answer toward the centre of the island, in the valley of shadows, there is a castle. He who lives there has dominion over this island. I am sorry, I should have told you earlier, but it was so good to see people from other lands, and I did not want you to did not want to frighten you off. Plebus said and lowered his eyes. "'What should you have told us?' Dante asked, quite concerned. "'You have heard, no doubt, that the Isles of Malone are haunted.' Dante nodded. "'Yes, but we thought perhaps it was because of the tempests or the Strangler Vines.' "'No, it is because of Lord Malthos. Anyone who comes to the island never leaves. He is lord over this island. Our village exists to serve him. He will never let us leave. Pleibus became sober. You will either serve him or die, but you will never leave. It is my fault. I should have warned you at the very first. But when we saw the power of Sir Gavanagh over the strangler vine, I had to know more. The man lowered his eyes and stared at the table. Gavanagh reached across and grabbed Pleiobus's arm. It's all right, Pleiobus. Your warning would not have changed anything. Pleibus looked up. He is punishing me for showing you kindness. That's why he has taken my father and the others. Each winter we are required to send two servants to his castle to be his slaves. No one ever comes back. It's not yet time, but he has taken four. You should leave quickly, if you can. But he is just one man, Dante said. How can he stop a full ship of mighty men from leaving? Pleobus shook his head. He is not just one man. He is like many men, and his power is great. I've seen him destroy ten men at once at ten men at once as if they were but children. You and your ship are in grave danger. It may be too late already. His voice was devoid of expression. Dante rose up. My ship, we must leave at once. Captain Dante, I know of this Malthos, Gavanagh said. He is an enemy of the prince. See about your men, but I want... Pleiobus to take care but I want Pleibus to take me to his castle no cried Pleiobus I will be killed and so will you Gavina looked straight at him your father may still be alive Pleiobus sat back in his chair and his shoulders fell I will take you he said softly. "'Are you sure you want to do this?' Dante asked Gavanagh. "'I am called to do it.' "'Very well. One of my men will accompany you. "'I will wait to hear from him what has become of you.' Dante exited quickly and assigned a man to go with Gavanagh and Pleibus. Gavanagh, Pleiabas, and the shipmate journeyed further into the island until they came to the Valley of Shadows, which was surrounded by hills that rose high above them. Deep in the valley stood a massive, dark castle. Pleiabas became stricken with fear, so much so that Gavanagh had to encourage him to continue. As they descended into the trees of the valley... "'Gavanagh could feel the oppression all around him. "'He reached for the hilt of his sword, "'and it brought him great comfort. "'We are close,' Pleiabas whispered. "'They proceeded cautiously "'and then stopped at the edge of the forest, "'which gave way to the castle grounds. "'The towers of the great castle loomed large, "'and the walls looked massive.' Gavana started toward the castle. Pleibus grabbed his arm. He will kill you, Gavanagh. His eyes were wide, and his hand was shaking. Gavanaugh looked at him and smiled. The prince is greater than any dark warrior, Gavanagh said as he drew his sword. He is the sword. Gavanaugh held the brilliant silver sword before him, and it seemed to reverberate within his grip. He walked into the open and up to the massive gates, leaving Pleibus and his escort in the cover of the trees. Malthos, he shouted. Release your slaves! A moment of silence followed, and then, The gates of the castle began to open. Deep, ugly laughter echoed out into the forest from behind the doors. The opening widened until the monstrous form of a dark warrior appeared. He drew his sword and came toward Gavanaugh. The laughter turned to loathing. Who dares enter my domain? With each step, the form of the warrior grew, until he stood but a few paces away, towering over Galvanagh like the castle behind him. His hair was black and hung to his shoulders. His face bore the deep scar of his master and revealed the utter hatred that emanated from his soul. He flexed the large muscles in his chest and arms, which seemed to expand his size. He was not a man. He was a giant. The sword he wielded was a picture of evil. The blade was long and contained engravings that were dark and unidentifiable. The hilt had short Wicked, blade-like protrusions similar to the ones that impaled Gavanagh many years earlier in the forest on the road to Denrith. Gavanagh stayed silent as he beheld the warrior. He felt the apprehension rising within him until he remembered the prince. "'I will cut out your heart and feed it to my dogs, fool!' The beast of a man said, with disgust, he began he began to draw back his sword. I am Gavanagh, servant of the prince. The warrior hesitated, and Gavanagh saw a fleeting glimpse of concern cross his face at the mention of the prince. Your domain over these people will come to an end, for by the power of the prince and by his name, I command you to release your captives. Gavinos spoke the words with great authority. Malthos seemed paralyzed. It was a strange picture to behold for the simple and powerful words of a faithful servant of the prince had caused the heart of a monster to tremble. The warrior shook himself and roared in defiance. He attacked Gavanaugh ferociously. Gavanaugh defended himself against the beast's massive blows. The strength of his sword matched the image of his power and Gavanaugh found himself retreating against the onslaught. Yet, he also felt the strength of the prince rising within him as he bore the fury of the warrior. The grisly sword came streaking toward Gavanaugh, and he brought an upward-deflecting blow to meet it. As he did so, he ducked beneath the colliding blades and executed a counterslice, that tore through Malthus' left side. The warrior screamed in agony. Malthus stepped back and looked at Gavanaugh incredulously. His disbelief turned quickly to fierce anger, and he he came at Gavanaugh with more fury than before. His sword came perilously close to Gavanaugh's neck, but Gavanaugh did not retreat this time. He stood his ground, and the fight raged on. Gavanaugh was tiring, but the warrior was growing weak from his wound as well. In one quick explosive maneuver, Gavanaugh deflected and thrust so quickly that the warrior could not recover. His blade pierced Malthos's chest. He dropped to his knees as his dark weapon loosened from his grip and fell harmlessly to the ground. The power of the prince overcomes all evil, even that of the Dark Knight and his shadow warriors, Gavanaugh proclaimed. No! Malthos gasped with his last breath. He collapsed to the ground and died. Pleiobus and the escort slowly crept toward Gavanagh with their eyes fixed on the hulking mass that lay at his feet. They looked as though he might rise up and slay them at any moment, but their fear was for naught. They walked through the gates of the castle and entered a world of despair in death. They opened the eyes and rele- they opened the cells and released all those Malthus had held captive. Pleobus found his father, and their reunion was joyful. Many villagers of years past were freed that day, and Pleiobus wept for the freedom that Gavanaugh had brought his people by the sword of the prince. Gavanaugh embraced his new friend and then departed later that day with his escort to join Dante and the rest of the crew of the Raven. The escort described to Captain Dante all that had happened, and he marveled at Gavanaugh's skill. Dante allowed Gavanaugh to retain his sword, for he had proven his word and his integrity to the captain. Never before had Dante encountered such a man as Gavanagh, and he came to realize that the man's call to the prince bound his heart more than any fetters of iron ever could. There was no sign of the Tempests on their departure, and their journey to Namur continued uneventfully. Upon their arrival, Captain Dante vouched for Gavanagh and was given charge over him. Dante brought him into his home and allowed him great freedom until the time he should appear before the Duke of Namur. During that time, Gavanaugh formed a new haven of followers, for many longed to hear the words of the prince and the hope that he brought. Through it all, Gavanaugh and Dante became close friends. On the appointed day, Gavinaw stood before the Duke of Namur and declared the prince before him and before the council that had been convened to hear his testimony. Because of the Duke's association with Lord Caiaphas, Gavinaw was not set free, but it was declared that he should remain under Dante's custody. Dante granted all freedom to Gavinaw, with the exception of traveling to Chessington, since since such an act would cause severe turmoil between the two great cities and their leaders. Gavanaugh missed his friends, especially Kena, for his mind had never wandered far from the affectionate thoughts he had for her. One morning, Dante called Gavanaugh to the parlor of his estate. As Gavanaugh entered the parlor, Great joy filled his heart for Weston, Sandin, and Keena stood before him with smiles that reflected his own delight. My dear friends, he exclaimed and embraced Weston and Sandin. "'Gavanaugh, you look well, Weston said, smiling. And you? He turned to Keena. "'and drank in the smile on her lips. "'He embraced her as one would a friend, "'but his heart embraced her as much more. "'His stomach flipped within him at her touch. "'It is good to see you,' he said and stepped back to look at them all. "'I never expected to see you in the moor. "'Captain Dante sent for us when you arrived.' It's taken us many days to reach you, Sandon said. As usual, we hear you have already caused quite a stir in the city. Gavinaugh smiled. There are knights of the prince everywhere. They just don't know it yet. We brought Triumph with us, Kina said. Did he miss me too? Who said we missed you? Sandon quipped, "'We're here to try and keep you under control this time,' he said, and they all laughed heartily. Dante invited the friends to remain at his estate as long as they desired, and they used the time to build up the knights of the prince in Namur. Their work made knights of many people, and eventually there was no small stirring among the leadership." Gavanagh, Weston, Sandon, and Kena departed Namur to seek the hearts of others for the prince. They journeyed north along the base of the Boundary Mountains. With each day that passed, Gavanagh came to long for the time when he would see the prince again. It was a hope that propelled him forward and brought passion to his work. Chapter 14 is called A Prince Yet to Be. Gavanaugh and his comrades traveled along the mountains toward the northern country, making camp in the evenings in the Black Woods. Gavanaugh was grateful for the companionship of his friends. They were true friends who had endured much with him and because of him. Weston had sacrificed his life of comfort and his family's security because of his love for the prince. Sanin had abandoned all for the same. Gavinaw's zeal to fulfill the mission given him by the prince had brought great adversity and at times heartache to them and those they loved. Kena, however, had chosen to stay by his side for reasons he had yet to fully discover. He knew that at first it was because she wanted to kill him. Then he believed it was because she had nowhere else to go. But now he was not sure. It was almost too hard to have her near now, for he had come to love her so deeply he was continually preoccupied with thoughts of her. He'd never really had the opportunity to tell her about his feelings, or at least that was what he told himself. In truth, his silence was in part because of the possibility that she might not reciprocate his love. He marveled at the difference between his courage in battle and his cowardice in love. At Thessia, he had confirmed in his heart that she was much more to him than a friend, and every day that had passed, his feelings for her had grown deeper. However, there was an un- unresolved matter that disquieted his mind and brought war to his heart. It was why he now hesitated to discuss a relationship with her, for she had never fully expressed her belief in the prince. It was a matter that he knew he must resolve, for the condition of his heart and the energy within his being were undeniably tied to her. The Black Woods was a place of beauty and charm. It beckoned to the heart. One evening, Gavinok came to sit beside Keena during their evening meal. The conversation between the four of them consisted of tales of past adventures and eventually turned to laughter as they recounted the incident at Penwell and the governor's response to the silent warriors. Although the woods were full of shadows, the midsummer's delight was far from ending. After the meal, Kavanaugh found an occasion to speak with Kena alone. Kena would you care to take a ride with me? He asked. Yes, I would enjoy that. They mounted their steeds and left camp to explore the beauty of the woods. The forest canopy provided a cathedral of green, and the cool of the evening was a relief from the heat of the afternoon. They stopped at a small stream and knelt down to drink the cold water. all watched Keena as she lifted the water to her lips with her cupped hand. He was once again mesmerized by her movements and by her form. Everything about her seemed to capture his attention. He felt alive and foolish at the same time. He understood the natural attraction of a man to a woman, but there was something so much deeper that drew him to her. When she looked at him, her eyes became a window to her soul and he felt as though he were peering into the future of the kingdom. It was an indescribable feeling that took possession of him. Galvanus stood and offered a hand to lift her from the stream's edge. She took his hand, stood, and looked at him with warm eyes. He lingered just a moment before releasing her hand. "'I have a gift for you,' he said with a smile "'and went to retrieve a package wrapped in soft leather from Triumph's back. "'He handed the package to her. "'Kina looked astonished and hesitated in accepting it. "'But I—' "'Please, Kina,' Gavanaugh interrupted. "'Her eyes welled up with tears.' You have been so kind to me, she said as she slowly took the package from him. She ran her hand over the top of the string that held the parcel tight. After a moment, Galvanot could not wait any longer. Are you going to open it? Do I have to? she asked. That is the point of the gift, to be opened he said with a gentle laugh. "'But once I do, "'the unopened gift will be gone forever.' "'Gavanaugh gazed at the beauty of her wonder "'and her humility "'and let his heart slip a little further into her embrace. "'Take forever if you wish. "'Forgive me for allowing my impatience "'to rob you of this moment.' She smiled at him sweetly. After another moment, Kina slowly untied the string and opened the soft leather. Her first glimpse was of a beautiful cream cloth. Her mouth parted slightly, and a sense of awe was on her face as she lifted up a simple but elegant dress, fit. For a princess when I saw the dress in Namur I could not refrain from purchasing it for you Gavanaugh said enjoying Kina's expression the tears began to flow freely as she gazed at the beauty of the dress Gavanagh I am just a peasant girl I could never wear such a beautiful garment as this she said as she tried to give it back to him. I have been in the presence of nobility all my life, Kina, and I have yet to see a lady who compares with you. The prince prince has opened my eyes to true nobility, and his kingdom belongs to hearts such as yours. Please accept it. Whether you wear the dress or not, does not change the fact that you are a princess, both to the king and to me. She held the dress close to her and then quickly hugged Gavanagh. She backed away and blushed. Thank you, Gavanagh. It is beyond beautiful, and I should never be worthy to wear it, she said. Nonsense! Try it and let us see if it is worthy of you. She looked wistfully into his eyes. As a little girl, I always dreamed of wearing such a gown, and here it is in my hands. Dare I? I insist, he said. She smiled. As you wish, Sir Gavanagh. She walked a short distance into the forest, behind a growth of thick shrubbery, while Gavanagh turned and tended to the horses. He searched Kena's pack on her horse and discovered the royal robe he had bequeathed her at the Tournament of Lords in Thessia. A moment later, she called to him. As Gavanagh caught his first glimpse of Kena. He was enamored by her beauty, for she possessed all the dignity of a lady of great stature. He stopped a few paces away and gazed upon her, entranced by the graceful lines of her form and the radiance of her face. Against the lush backdrop of the forest walls, Gavanaugh imprinted the image in his mind, hoping never to forget this moment. Keena blushed at his gaze and looked down at the gown. I feel ridiculous. I will take it off, she said and turned away. No, Gavanaugh exclaimed. You look beautiful. She smiled in response. Something is missing, he said. He walked back to her horse and pulled out the robe from Thessia and placed it about her shoulders. He stepped back and bowed before her. She curtsied and laughed. I was correct, however. The dress is not worthy of you, for its elegance has diminished in the presence of your charm, Gavanagh said. She shook her head and Came to his side. Shall we walk, sir? He smiled and offered his arm, and she took it. They walked in the beauty of the forest scenery, content to let the kingdom pass them by for a time. They came to a large fallen tree and sat upon its trunk. Gavanaugh resisted what he knew he must ask for he didn't want the delight of this evening to end. But eventually his peace escaped him anyway, and he became quiet. What is bothering you? she asked. May I ask a question of you? Of course, she replied. He hesitated. I have given my life in service to the prince because I believe in him. Kena turned her eyes away from him. He is the reason I am alive today. He is the reason for which I live. Do you understand what this means for me? Yes, I do, she replied. Kina, Do you believe in the prince? She looked back at Galvanot, and he saw the conflict within her. She was silent for a time before she spoke. It is the prince who has brought us together, and it is the prince who keeps us apart, isn't it? She said with a hint of sadness in her voice, "'It is,' he said. "'He turned to face her and looked into her eyes "'as he had never dared before. Kina, you have so captured my heart and soul "'that I cannot bear to think of life without you. "'I dared not tell you this before, "'for I did not know if you could ever forgive me "'for the agony I caused you and your family.' "'But now I cannot bear it any longer. "'My heart is yours to do with as you please. "'But I first must know that I have given it to one "'who serves the prince as I do.' "'She blinked, and a tear fell down her cheek. "'But it was not shed out of delight.' He could see the turmoil in Keena's countenance and could hardly bear the possibility of what her words might reveal. He lifted his hand to her cheek and wiped away the tear, then turned aside. Gavanaugh, it would be a crime against our hearts to offer anything less than pure truth. She lifted her hand to his chin and Turned his gaze back to her, more tears streaked her face, but gavanaugh did not wipe them away for each touch of her skin only melted his heart to the anchor of what seemed to be an impossible love. Do you love another then he asked broken-heartedly. I have given my love to no one. When the Shadow Warriors killed my parents and sold me into slavery, I wanted to die myself. When I did not die, I wanted revenge. The Prince robbed me of my revenge, but I am grateful, for you have dared my heart to hope again. She paused and looked at the ground gavin felt as though he were perched at the edge of a cliff, trying to keep his balance. Until this moment, I did not think it possible that I could win the heart of such a noble knight as you. She turned back and looked into his eyes. But, but I have always known that any love in my heart I might offer you must be freed by the one you serve. I have seen how your loyalty to the prince transcends even your own desires. She cried softly. I have heard your words of the prince and yearn for them to be my own, but the pain of my past has imprisoned me. Answer me one question, Gavanagh, that I might believe. Gavanoff found a sliver of hope in her words and yet became afraid. What if I cannot answer this question? Will I doom her to destruction and to a life without love? What is this question that so haunts your soul? She hesitated, and he ached to hold and comfort her. If the prince truly cares for this kingdom, why does he allow such great pain? She asked it with such passion that Gavanoff felt her soul tremble. Oh, Kina, the whole of my being desires to give an answer to that would satisfy your soul, but I fear that you would find my words inadequate." He paused to gather his thoughts. Give me the words, my prince, to show her the depth of your wisdom and your love. Gavanagh looked down at Kena's hand. You must first understand that it is the dark knight who has brought such great pain to the kingdom. He has turned the hearts of the people away from the king and his goodness. The king desires all people to return to him, but because of their pride and foolishness, many will never choose to follow him. This pain and suffering is allowed for a time to reveal the treachery of Lucius. But do not think the king unmerciful or unfeeling, for he sent his one and only son, to endure more pain and suffering than any other man in the kingdom ever has, even unto death. Gavanagh paused to see if Kena was accepting any of his words. Her tears had stopped, and she looked at him as though she wanted to hear more. But here is the beauty of the Prince Kena, when we serve him wholly, he can turn all of our pain caused by Lucius's vilest intentions into a glorious victory. How is that possible? She asked softly. There is a kingdom waiting for those who believe where there will be no more sorrow, no more pain. If the pain we suffer brings us to that understanding and belief, then we are victorious. When the shadow warrior pierced me with his sword, I had an encounter with the prince and believed. That pain bought me a place in the kingdom that is to come. Even this moment between us exists because of the pain we have suffered in our past and I would endure the pain of a thousand swords to be in your presence this night and speak of the hope of winning your love. Gavanagh did not sense withdrawal in Kena, but he wished to know her thoughts. A mother must labor in pain to give birth, he continued, But in the end, there is a precious new life. Our kingdom labors in pain, but in the end there is new life for those who believe. There is so much pain, but the king has begun the healing through the prince. All will suffer pain. The difference is what we choose to do with it. When we serve the prince, our pain makes us stronger. What you have suffered, I cannot heal. But the prince can and will. Kina looked at him without expression. I must think about what you said. Please be patient with me. He nodded and she stood and slowly walked away. The light of the setting sun broke through the vertical towers of the forest trees in a clearing near them, and Kena walked toward it. Wisps of evening ground fog swirled around the beautiful gown and the robe as she passed through. She was lost in heavy contemplation, and Gavinaugh hoped and waited The reins of his heart were pulled tight, and for the first time since he had met the prince, his mind struggled against the desire to compromise his convictions. "'What if she can't believe? Does it really matter that much?' he asked himself. He rose up and lifted his eyes to the sky above and remembered his promise to the prince to stay true to his quest.' To the last beat of my heart, I will, my prince, I so swear. He knew that his heart could not stand divided between the prince and the one who did not serve him, and one who did not serve him. He gazed at the slender form of his beautiful companion. She was standing by a large stone, near the edge of the stream that watered their steeds not far away and seemed lost in the soothing sound and dancing reflections of the water. Gavanagh returned to recover their horses. They were grazing on the tender spires of new grass near the water's edge. Kena was farther up the stream and just beyond his sight. He pulled on the reins and walked with the animals in that direction. After a few paces, Triumph stopped. He raised his head high and perked up his ears. Gavanagh stroked his neck and felt the steed's powerful muscles twitch with apprehension. "'What is it, boy?' A dreadful thought began to swell in his mind, and chills ran from his feet clear up to his neck. He had been in this arena before. Triumph looked where Kena should be, and Gavanov felt the beast of fear clawing at him. All at once the forest darkened and seemed to collapse upon him. He drew his sword, but it suddenly felt as though it weighed a hundred pounds. The air about him felt as thick as syrup, as he turned toward Kena and ran that direction. The beauty of the forest devolved into limbs of evil that seemed to grasp at him as he passed by, and all his fear exploded in the sound of her scream. "Gavinah!" Her voice pierced the serenity of the forest on the waves of terror. "'Kena!' He screamed and tightened his grip on his sword. The rush within his muscles overtook the atrophy of fear and he charged through the barriers of the forest with the power of a war horse barreling toward its foe. The hazy picture of impending doom cleared as he drew near and he, closer and he despaired greatly. Kena was in the tight grip "'of a shadow warrior. two others drew their swords "'and faced Gavanaugh "'as they heard him approach. "'He did not falter "'at the ominous image of evil "'in front of him "'as he had before. "'His heart was powered "'by the force of the prince "'and by love. "'Kina screamed again "'and clutched at the air "'between her and Gavanagh. Panic and fear so enveloped her that he could hardly bear to see it. A vision of her face and the scene at Cardlebrook years earlier flashed across his mind. The horrific episode of their past seemed to be unfolding before his eyes once again. Okay kids, and that's the end of chapter 14. I must stop there. Chapter 15 is called Ancient Enemies. Who know? It's getting good, huh? Alright, I love you kiddos. Quick prayer. 30 second prayer, Sonia. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that I get to pray for Lily, Sonia, Gideon, Chrissy, and Garrison. Please bless them. Draw them close to you. I pray that you would Sharpen their swords of your word in their armory and teach them how to use their swords, just like Gavanaugh. I love them very much, and Father, I know you love them with your perfect love. Thank you so much. Put a hedge up around them, bless them, and keep them in all that they do. In your mighty name, Jesus, amen. That was like 40 seconds, 45, sorry. Love you, kiddos. Night-night.